Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 13. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, Before you leave, Kaylee, you all should know that the young professionals of Oklahoma City recently had an awards banquet, and one of the awards, and we were nominated for several awards, like one was nominated for a nonprofit of the year, and they screwed that up because we didn't win that one. (laughs) But we do have... One of us on this stage was actually awarded Young Professional of All of Oklahoma City, and it's not me. So how about a hand for our own Kaylee? Yes, yes. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, you need it. (laughs) She is fantastic. She deserves all of that and more. Um, she's doing an amazing thing. The city's starting to take notice of not only of what one is doing, but what Kaylee is doing at the front of, of one. And so we're blessed and um, appreciate you doing what you're doing and that you've signed on to do it for the next 30 years. So thank you for, for that as well. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. One more time for Kaylee Vaughn. So over the last several weeks, as I've had opportunity to study um, Moses and, and these stories that are so that are so familiar to us, um, I've really grown in my estimation, my esteem for, my respect for, my my fandom of Moses. I mean, that's just I'm I'm amazed. I'm amazed at at what uh, probably in some circles would be called the chutzpah of Moses. Chutzpah. We're going to come back to that word, but I found also another example of chutzpah in the news here recently. Hopefully, this works for us. Oh, that's Kaylee. That's all of all of that's Kaylee. Yeah, I should say she's great. Okay, then there's this. At least three MTA employees turned a storage room at Grand Central Terminal into a man cave. That's according to an internal investigation. It had a futon, flat screen TV with streaming capabilities, a refrigerator, microwave, air conditioning, workout equipment, and more. According to the Office of the MTA Inspector General, it was all in a storage room below track 114 at Grand Central Terminal. Investigators say an MTA wireman, carpenter, and electrician assembled the equipment. They have been suspended without pay while facing disciplinary charges. The investigation started after an anonymous tip. Katie Johnston for CBSNewYork.com. I was fascinated by this. So these three folks who worked there right at Grand Central Station found a, a, a little, little closet, really, like far underneath 
Grand Central Station, in the bowels of Grand Central Station. And they worked it, like they put a futon and all that kind of stuff in there so that they could have a, a workout room, they could have an entertainment room, they could go in there and sleep. There was a little kitchenette in there. It was just an amazing sort of thing. But here's what I was, I was caught by this. One of the people who was reporting on it, actually representing uh, the MTA there, said, few people would have had the chutzpah to commandeer a secret room beneath Grand Central Station and make it their very own man cave, sustained with MTA resources and maintained at our writer's expense. That's incredible to me. I would have loved to have been in that space. I want to see what all of that's like. I like those little kinds of spaces. I am especially, though, I'm especially, though, uh, taken this week with this word, chutzpah. Have you heard this word before? Chutzpah. Uh, this, this is, chutzpah happens when a kitten can look in a mirror and see a lion. <laughs> Amen. Shameless audacity, impudence. I, I do want to zero in on that word audacity and then ask us uh, a, a very important question. How much chutzpah do you have as you enter the sanctuary today? Second question is, then, what is the source of your chutzpah? I found this incredible quote. To be a good Jew, you need two opposites. You need a sense of shame that prevents you from acting with chutzpah to do the wrong thing. But you also need a sense of chutzpah that prevents you from being ashamed to do the right thing. Right? We, we say this all the time around here. We're trying to do these three things. Anybody remember them? They are friendship with God. Let's stop right there. How, how did you enter this room today? What are your expectations as you enter this room? I mean, hard, hard to miss this room's beauty, first of all. I, I love the high ceilings and, and the wood and the stone and how it all works together. I love these um, stained glass windows. I, I think this is one of those rooms, no matter when you enter it during the week, you enter it and you do have some sense that you are not alone as you enter into this room. I hope on a Sunday morning when you know that we're going to be singing and praying and there's going to be preaching and very soon there's going to be uh, communioning. I don't think that's a word. Um, I hope that you have this sensation that you are entering to have this encounter. I love what Jason said today in the call to worship. I hope you have an encounter today with God. But I do want to ask us how we would characterize that encounter with God. In other words, uh, how do you understand this one that you are here to meet? Like, how would you characterize that connection that you perhaps it's father-child, parent-child? Are you coming to meet with the one who is the source of your guilty conscience? <laughs> are you coming to work with some sort of cosmic law author, who always finds you coming up short, and you, so you come here to stay out of trouble, right? How, how many of you enter into this room today aching to commune with a friend? This is, this is what gets me about Moses. Moses uh, had very little to recommend Moses for this job. If you remember, in fact, Moses understood it this way. Moses, when first called, said, I, you have the wrong person. Have you met Aaron? My brother Aaron 
is incredibly eloquent, and, and that is the one that you, I, you can't use me, I've got a stuttering problem. I have a speech impediment of some kind, you can't, you can't use me. Very little to recommend Moses in the eyes of everybody else, but here's the thing, God loved Moses. Man, over and over we see that God loved Moses. Over and over we see that Moses was not always sure he was up to the, to the task that this loving God had called him to. In fact, it's not been very long since we heard this from Moses. God, you gotta help me with this, they're about to kill me. I don't, I don't know what to do. And, and now, let's remember what has happened here recently. Recently. So last week, if you'll remember, Moses goes up on the mountain to commune with his friend, God. Goes up on the mountain, and while on the mountain, apparently he was up there for so long that the people at the bottom of the mountain, still under Aaron's leadership down there, decided that they better go ahead and fashion their own God because we don't even know what has happened to this Moses character. And so they take some of the stuff that they had taken from Egypt, this gold and everything, and they, and they give it to Aaron, and Aaron, this is hilarious though, Aaron, Aaron actually puts it all into the fire and fashions it, but later on when he's telling the story, he says, Moses, really, I don't know what happened. I threw all this gold into the fire, and this, 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 little, this little calf just jumped out. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's actually there. And so, understanding that something had happened because God said, hey, those people have broken the covenant, and by the way, there will be some evidence here later that God understands the covenant to be null and void. But if you'll remember, if you'll remember, Moses said, yes, they are terrible. But you are good. Don't give up on us yet. Yes, they deserve what you're contemplating. And by the way, what God was contemplating was that he would consume them. That can't be good. That was the word, that he would wipe them out. But Moses had enough chutzpah to say to God, hang on, you can't do that. Let me ask us again, where does Moses find the resources to challenge the decision that God has made? Is it right? Last week we said yes. It was the right thing. To appeal, to appeal to the greater, grander, more consistent nature of God, even if in the moment, in appealing to it, you were being dis disobedient because God had just said, get out of here, Moses, leave me alone, is what it says. And Moses does not. Instead, Moses challenges God's decision. Chutzpah. <laughs> but where does it come from? It doesn't come from his resume. What, what about you? I mean, here's what I, I, I caught myself wishing this week. I want what he's got. I, I, whatever it is that, that Moses has, whatever it is that allows Moses to look at God and say, you can't do what you've just said you're going to do. I appeal to that which is better and greater and grander about you. Whatever that is in, in, in Moses' mind and heart, John needs more of. Uh, is it chutzpah? Yeah. Well, it's at least chutzpah. I want to know where it comes from. To connect the dots from last week. So, after this exchange, and finally he actually gets God to relent. He says, okay, I won't kill them. <laughs> 
But that's as far as God will go because in God's mind and heart, the covenant has been destroyed. So Moses turns and goes down from the mountain, carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, written on the front and on the back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the handwriting of God engraved upon the tablets. Moses' anger burned hot as he got to his people. And he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. There you have it. Pretty graphic imagery there that demonstrates that something that was is no longer. And I just had to say this. Verse 20 in chapter 32. Then Moses took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the, made the people drink it. This is rough now. But it's down in verse 24 that Aaron says, listen, I don't know what happened. I just threw all this gold into the fire, and this calf walked out. It was amazing. It gets bloodier than that. According to Scripture and according to chapter 32 there, 3,000 people died because of this sin. At the end of chapter 32, Moses goes back to meet with God. And says this, verse 31, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. And I hear you, God, you say you're going to wipe them out. Moses says, guys, audacity, chutzpah. Moses says, but now if you will just please forgive their sins. But if not, blot me out of the book that you have written. Who does Moses think he is? God says, okay, all right. And this will, this will actually carry into to chapter 33. All right, get back out on the road. Lead your people to the place about which I have spoken to you and I will send an angel to go with you. Because God is saying now, okay, I'll send you on your way, still toward the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Because if I went with you, you'll do something dumb again and I'll kill you. It's kind of what's there. Middendorf Revised Standard Version. Chapter 33, I will send this angel before you and I'll drive out everybody in front of you. I will still send you to this land flowing with milk and honey. But I'm not going to go up among you, verse 3, or I would consume you on the way, because you are a stiff-necked people. Now the people recognize the covenant is in grave danger, much jeopardy. They also recognize that God seems to love Moses. In fact, the people seem to bank on God's relationship with Moses. Now, in the chapters in between, the giving of the Ten Commandments and now here, chapter 32, 33, 34, there's a lot of instruction there. This is how God wanted the, the tent built or this little tabernacle where people should be able to meet with God, but Moses is the one who most often meets with God. And when Moses goes to, meets with, to meet with God, it catches the attention of all the people because according to Scripture, when Moses goes to enter the tent, they all stand up in anticipation that God is about to meet with Moses. Verse 9 in 
in chapter 33. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and then bow down, all of them, at the entrance of the tent. But you guys, look at this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Who does Moses think he is? Well, what matters is that God thinks Moses is a friend. And maybe, I'm going to kind of give away the end here, but I want you to to stay to the end of the sermon. (laughs) Maybe that's what qualifies Moses. God's view of Moses, God's love of Moses, the friendship that God enjoys with Moses qualifies Moses and makes his prayer effective. How did you enter into this room today? Here's the thing, and Jason's already said it. God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. What I don't know, though, is whether or not you understand or believe or appreciate that fact. Like, You'll hear us say that every week, and we do some things around here every week, every week, every week, and sometimes your brains turn off, but even then, we're going to keep doing them every week because it still is slowly but surely shaping. You may not even know it. You may not even permission it. We're still going to do it week in, week out. We're still going to say to you, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, so that at some point, you might understand yourself as the friend of God. Now, friend and parent, God can be both friend and parent. Everybody understand that, right? You can be more than one thing at one time. Friend, though, friend, friend of God, because God desires to be understood as your friend, as your Lord, certainly. Savior, yes, but friend, friend, someone you can talk to, prayer, someone you can sit with, worship. Someone with whom you can be honest, your authentic self, gripe, moan, complain, lament. God understands God's self as your friend. For some of us, God is just waiting for us to catch up to the truth. This is stunning. Imagine if you understood prayer this way. Prayer happens when I am speaking face-to-face with God as one speaks to a friend. But does it work? Remember, here's where we're at in terms of the relationship between God and God's people. God has said, all right, I will put you back on the road and I'll send you to the place I was going to send you, but I can't go with you because if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. That's where we're at. Moses said to the Lord, his friend, see, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you, yeah, he kind of has though, right? He has said, an angel. Yet you have said, I know you by name. 
a term of intimacy here. That word know says a lot here that's not being said in the English language. I know you by name, God says to Moses, and you also have found favor in my sight. But if I have really found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. And God, by the way, <laughs> can we stop playing this game, God, where like parents do, like your son did this, no, your daughter did this. No, you know how parents kind of shift ownership of their children back and forth? God and Moses have been doing the same thing. And so Moses says, God, can we stop doing that? Consider that this nation is your people. Remarkable what happens in the very next verse. Watch this. God said, okay. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, uh, this is where language matters. What God doesn't say is, my presence will go with you all. That's not what it says in Hebrew. It says here, God's heart is moved and so God says to God's friend Moses, okay, Moses, I will go with you. Not them. Still mad at them. But I love you, Moses. I will go with you. Moses is not satisfied. <laughs> and he said to him, hang on. If your presence will not go, then don't even carry us up from here. Because now he's trying to claim this companionship not just for himself but also for the people. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? If you really love me, then you love us. And how will we know this unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. Watch this. The Lord said to Moses, okay. I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you, still singular, but what Moses has asked is this, okay, if you love me, then go with us. And here's the thing, y'all. God says, okay. Is that remarkable to anybody else? Moses Wants more. And, and I gotta tell you, this is where this week I, I was very convicted. And, and in fact, I want to share my conviction with you so that you may also be convicted. <laughs> Moses wants more of God. There was a point at this week, I wasn't sure I wanted more with God because I was pretty sure more came with more responsibility. More phone calls and emails and weirdness. <laughs> but Moses wanted more. I mean, watch this. Moses had gotten uh, movement out of the heart of God. Altered, changed decisions. Moses had negotiated, I guess. I think it was better than that, though. It was more than business partners negotiate, right? Or people on the other side of a business deal negotiate. This is more than that. Maybe this is what happens when people love each other. They're arguing. 
And Moses is moving God. And out of that same heart, that same appetite for this relationship with God, now watch this. Moses says, I want more of you. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, okay. Verse 19, God says, okay. I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Another word that might have been placed there instead of goodness is shalom. Okay. I'll show you all that makes me, me. I will actually show it to you because God too is still investing in this friendship. Verse 20, interesting here. But, God said, you can't see my face for no one shall see my face and live. But Here's what we'll do. The Lord continued. See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you on the cleft, in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. One of the commentators I, I read this week said, this was to maintain, God needed to maintain some sense of mystery and even invisibility to maintain the faith of Moses because if God shows up and is God's gargantuan self and can be seen clearly, there's no longer a decision to be made. You just sort of are coerced into doing whatever this God tells you. And by the way, it's no longer a friendship. And so God shows Moses just enough to maintain the friendship and fund Moses' faith. And now we move on to chapter 34. Now it's not our preaching text today, but I wish it was, and I'm not sure that it's responsible to leave this story without this conclusion. So the relationship between God and Moses continues to grow, blossom, deepen. Moses, buoyed by the strength of this relationship, continues to move God, to move God away from God's anger and towards something else. But right now, right now, there's not yet any tangible evidence that God has reclaimed the people he has reclaimed and for sure invested in Moses. And because he loves Moses, God is going to stick with Israel. But there is still not the kind of connection with Israel, the people, that Moses wants from God. But certainly, Moses is having an impact. Then all of a sudden, you have this in chapter 34. God says, why don't you come on up, let's talk again. Let's talk again. Moses cut two tablets of stone like the former ones, and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. Verse 6. I don't know if there are more important verses in all of the Old Testament, maybe not in all of Scripture, than these. So please pay attention. If you have your Bibles, somehow underline, highlight, whatever you need to do, 34, 6, and 7. 
The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. doesn't mean he clears the guilty. What it says here is that he forgives the guilty. Moses senses a moment here. Moses senses the potential. Verse 8, Moses quickly bows his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. In other words, God completely back off of what you said before and completely come back to this covenant and take us again. Let's reestablish the covenant. Completely. God. All of it. And in my Bible, and I've said this to you before as I've preached on this passage before, in my Bible, there's a giant white space because there's a different, there's a different paragraph that begins. And it's almost as if the people who constructed our Bibles recognized the power of this moment, the potential of this moment, the potential danger in this moment, and they just sort of leave that little space there for dramatic effect. Because surely God is aware that Moses has ached out loud and prayed and prayed and prayed and banked on friendship with God and has said along the way, God, love us more, love us more, love us more. Take us back, take us back, take us back. And now God is surely aware at this moment, in this giant moment between verses 9 and 10 in chapter 34, God is surely aware that God's about to take everything back and reclaim the whole people. At least that's on the table at least. That's the decision that God has to make. Will I act as if these are my people again or not? Walter Brueggemann says this. Moses in this passage, he means 32 to 34, always wants more from God. And what he has by way of presence is never enough because Moses wants this presence to not just be enjoyed by Moses, but now by the entire people. And God says to Moses' prayer, you ready? Okay. He says, God says, here it is. God says, I hereby make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform marvels, such as have not been performed in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you live shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And here's the awesome thing that God's going to do with them. You ready? Forgive them. And bring them back. Because Moses was banking on God's heart for Moses. Moses prayed, leaning against the friendship that had been developed between God and Moses. I, I am increasingly aware of um, the Christian calendar that incorporates 
all of the different strands of what we call Christianity, and so I'm increasingly aware of saints' days. And this past Thursday was the, uh, the day that we commemorate the, the death of Teresa of Avila, who died the 15th of October in 1582. And, and Teresa of Avila continues to have a profound impact on how we understand this connection between us and God. You, you may not know it, but Teresa of Avila has had something to do with how you understand God if you understand God as friend. She said in one of her best quotes, she says, mental prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Are you? Am I? She goes on to say, the important thing is not to think much, but to love much. And so do that which best stirs you to love. Love is not great delight, but desire to please God in everything. And then, like a ton of bricks, she says this, prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. Oh, y'all, just for a second, just for a second, let's, let's consider that this might be true. What this does is it addresses all of the concerns that we hear vocalized when someone says, I don't know how to pray. Got it. What we need to do then is remind you that God has chosen you as a friend so that you're praying then. It's not some sort of technical theological exercise, and those are good. There are moments when it needs to be nothing more than a conversation between friends. We always pray prayers of confession. But I also want us today to pray prayers of audacity. And I want you to pray confidently this prayer of audacity, recognizing that the same thing that qualified Moses qualifies you to pray this prayer of audacity. Moses, the stutterer, never waved his resume in God's face to say, hey, you better listen to me. I'm someone who doesn't stutter. They couldn't do that. Moses never waved any kind of resume in God's face. Moses regularly said, God, aren't you the God who loves? And God would say, oh man, I am for sure the God who loves you. That's what qualified Moses to pray this prayer of audacity. You ready for this? You get to pray the same prayer of audacity because as God loved Moses, God loves you. You are hereby qualified to pray the most audacious prayers, to come before God with great, let's make it our word too, chutzpah. <laughs> and your confidence is again not in what we bring to the table, our confidence in, is in how God feels about us. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray in a minute, but first we're gonna sing this song and if you'll notice, we have been singing every week in this series through Exodus, we've been singing the same song, Lord, I need you, I need you.
we still need this God. And our families, our circumstances, our city, our state, nation, and planet, are, they need for us, y'all, to, play, to pray great prayers of audacity. We need to be audacious people who pray. And I'm trying as best I can to permission myself and to permission you to pray those great prayers of audacity by letting you know it has less to do with God, it has less to do with your heart for God and way more to do with God's heart for you. God wants to hear from you. And so hear that in these lyrics as we sing. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, cause without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my to start with the most audacious prayer that you can think of. And by the way, it's hard to have a prayer that's more audacious than this. God, more of you. More of you. So as we enter into this time of prayer, I want you to take a posture that's most comfortable for you. Some may want to kneel. Some may want to continue to stand. You may be seated, but I want you to pray. And I want you to get into the posture that you need to get into to pray an audacious prayer. So now, God, help us. Maybe help us to feel it even physically as we lean into this connection that we have with you. This connection that you have worked on for longer than we've worked on it. You've worked on it harder than we've worked on it. And it's in the strength of this bond that we have with you that we pray this prayer of great audacity. And now, church, pray 
boldly. Boldly. For what, John? Yeah, you name it. Pray. receives these prayers because God loves each of us and all of us. Sometimes these prayers, though, bring into sharp relief that we still need to pray prayers of confession. And so let me invite you to do that now, but keep in mind as you pray a prayer of confession, you're still praying to the God who cannot get enough of you. The God who anxiously awaits your arrival. Think of the the prodigal's father pacing back and forth, waiting for the prodigal to come home. That God, that posture waits for you to speak and pray and now to confess. So pray a prayer of confession now to this welcoming God. receive this as I hand things off to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit. Keep us in eternal life.